Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Dear God, where together we're learning to practice praying as Jesus taught us. Thanks for joining us. Several months ago, Peggy and I were looking for something to watch on Netflix, and we came across this show called Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. And the whole premise of this show is this lady, Marie Kondo, goes into people's homes who are an absolute disaster and a mess. There's stuff everywhere, and she goes in and she helps them clean up their homes. But the thing I found interesting about this show is that not only does she help them physically clean up or tidy up their homes, but something happens in the lives of the people in those homes as well. Somehow, as they're cleaning up their home, there is a peace that settles over them. Now, interesting, that show has become extremely popular, and I think it's part of a larger trend that we're seeing in our world right now. Have you noticed how many people today find themselves drawn to things like decluttering or silence or slowing down or practicing simple things? We're told today that we should do things like practice mindfulness or yoga or meditation, I think in the same vein, maybe you and I find ourselves wanting to binge on a Netflix show all weekend, all for the sake of being able to just focus on one single simple thing and set aside all of the rest of life. Now, I don't think this trend should be surprising to us. After all, God created us as human beings to have this deep need for stillness, for pausing, for rest. And so this trend we're seeing is probably related to that. We're to have regular rhythms of rest in our daily and weekly lives. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today as we continue our series as a church family called Dear God. If you're following on your notes, in this series, we are learning together how to pray the way Jesus taught us. And it's this idea of pausing, of being still, that I want to talk to you about today. Last week, Pastor Jeff kicked off of this message series by talking about what Jesus says we shouldn't do when we pray. We shouldn't babble on and on trying to impress others or trying to manipulate God to do something for us. Instead, Jesus challenges us to get alone with the Father, to find a place where you can do that every single day. And that's exactly what Jeff challenged us to do last week, is to find our place where we can get alone with the Father. And then he invited us this week to begin praying the Lord's Prayer every single day. So if Jeff talked about last week about how we prepare to pray, this week I'm going to start talking about what do we actually say when we pray. Using the Lord's Prayer as our guide, we're going to break it down this way, which again, Jeff mentioned last week, we're using a book by Pete Gregg called How to Pray. And he breaks down the Lord's Prayer in this really helpful acronym, P-R-A-Y. P stands for pause, R stands for rejoice, A stands for ask, and Y stands for yield. And so that means today we're talking about that P. And if you're following on your notes, prayer starts with pausing and recognizing who God is. All of you have probably seen this picture, this button sometime in your life. This is a pause button, right? You use it often probably to pause your TV, to take a break, to step away, go to the bathroom, grab some food from the fridge. Well, in the same way, the Bible says that in our lives, we need to have a bit of a pause button. In fact, in Psalm 46, verse 10, the psalmist writes these words, which is on your notes. Would you read them out loud with me? It says, be still and know that I am God. 
That is his invitation to prayer. It starts with pausing long enough to know God deeply. And so I want to break, to break down this passage, this message this morning in these two ways. First, let's talk about what it means to be still or to pause regularly in our prayer lives. And second, as we pause, how do we take time to recognize who God is? Now, when I'm talking about this, I wonder, this is probably not the first thing you think about when it comes to prayer. When we think of prayer, we usually think about asking God for stuff or talking to God. It reminds me of a story that probably a lot of us as parents have experienced at one time or another. When we go on a trip or maybe it's an anniversary celebration or a business trip and we come back home and we're reunited with our kids. And what is the first thing they ask you? What did you bring us? Now, we kind of laugh at that, but I'm kind of similar in my prayer life, to be honest. It's easy for me to rush into prayer with a quick, dear God, here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking from you. Move straight into my wish list, into my, what can you bring us? As I've said before, when I do that, I'm turning my relationship with God into sort of like a cosmic vending machine. I pop in my prayer and hopefully out comes what I prayed for. But let's always remember, friends, as Jeff reminded us last week, if you're on your notes, prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. That is what God desires with you, with me, a relationship. And like any good relationship, again, if you're on your notes, it requires communicating and listening. Communicating and listening, right? We're good at the talking part, at the communicating part when it comes to prayer. Probably not as good at the listening part. And so that is why it's crucial for us to learn how to pause before we say anything and just be still. I love how the New American Standard Bible translate Psalm 46.10. This is the most literal English version of the Bible you can get. And they say, cease striving and know that I am God. Before you say anything to me, just stop, sit quietly, set your to-do list down for a little bit, become fully present in your place that you've chosen to spend time with me so you can enter into my presence fully as well. King Solomon once said, in prayer as in life, there is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. If we want to get better at prayer, we need to become friends with stillness and silence because here's the truth. I think we expect God to speak to us in a booming, thunderous voice, but more often he's going to speak to us in that quiet whisper. So if you're on your notes, the best way to start praying is actually to stop praying. The best way to start praying is to actually stop praying or at the very least stop talking Pause, be still, put down your prayer list and surrender your own personal agenda. Stop talking at God long enough so you can begin to listen to God. I cannot emphasize strongly enough how important it is not only for your spiritual life, but researchers are showing it's also important for our mental lives and our physical lives to begin to practice this kind of pausing. Look at what Pete Gregg says about this. You must seek solitude and silence as if your life depends on it, because in a way it does. When you are stressed, your adrenal glands release the hormone cortisol, which impairs your capacity for clear thinking and healthy decision-making. But as you sit quietly, the cortisol subsides and things become clearer. 
The swirling sediment of life settles down quite quickly. You become more aware of your own presence in place and time and of God's gentle, subsuming presence around and within you. Now, the context of Psalm 46 is pretty remarkable. I bet when you read that verse, be still, it's probably one of those psalms about a deer being led to some water or something like that, but it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, look at the verses right before this in Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I find that interesting, right? There's a lot going on in that. There's mountain surging, there's war, there's chaos, there's noise. It's fast-paced. Things haven't changed much for us today. But listen, if we want to know God, even in the midst of the chaos of life, we're going to have to develop this daily habit, this daily pattern of being still and silent before him. I used to think when I would practice this, I was kind of wasting my time of prayer, but I've come to understand that this time of pausing, this time of stillness can be some of the sweetest communion I have with God. 2 Samuel 7 verse 18 refers to a practice King David had that scripture calls sitting before the Lord. David sat before the Lord, not just to talk, but to listen because he understands it's only in stillness and silence and solitude that we'll begin to hear God's voice. If you're following on your notes, in stillness and silence, we can hear God's voice. Many years ago, we were celebrating Christmas at my brother-in-law's place, and they had just had a brand new baby girl. Her name is Ava. Our kids were a little bit older, and so we were all hanging out down in the family room together, and all of a sudden, I thought I heard Ava crying. Now, they had a monitor, and so they checked the monitor and didn't, didn't sound like she was crying, so we went on doing what we were doing, but I heard it again. And this time, one of the parents went up and checked, and sure enough, Ava was crying. She had woken up from her nap. And I thought about that afterwards, like, how come I could hear her crying? And it dawned on me, we had two kids who had just gone through that stage, and so I had been trained to hear babies crying. In a very similar way, learning to hear God's voice is developed over time as we begin to practice it, practicing stillness and solitude and silence. But if you don't make room for that in your daily life, then we'll probably never actually hear God speak. We make our lives so busy, so cluttered, so fast, so noisy, we wouldn't even hear God speak if he were trying to speak to us. I mean, think about all the distractions we have greeting us first thing in the morning. iPhones, computers, screaming kids, radios, TV, so much noise, so much distraction. Now, I may be breaking some new ground for some of you. You hear me say, what do you mean that God speaks? I've never heard God speaks to me. I know he speaks through the Bible, but he's never personally spoken to me in prayer before. My guess is you probably actually have God speak, not Gerd, but God speak to you before in prayer. Just last week, as I was practicing this time of stillness and silence, across the ticker of my mind, as Jeff likes to say, there came a friend of mine I hadn't spoken to for many, many months. And I knew that God was speaking to me. He was prompting me to reach out to this friend and ask him how he's doing through this time of pandemic, because I know his business was taking a hit. 
Or how about when you remember something in your prayer times that you did yesterday where you hurt somebody else? An unkind word, a bitter heart, a lack of listening. That is the Lord convicting us of something that we need to confess. And that is just as much God speaking to us as anything else. Unfortunately, he speaks to me a lot in this way. But listen, here's the key. If I don't respond to that, his voice will become less and less clear to me. But I'll never hear his voice in the first place if I don't develop this discipline of sitting before him in silence, of being still. So let me ask you, how much stillness is there in your life, really? How much silence? When do you turn off the TV? When do you put away your phone? When do you stop all of your activities and just sit silently before the Lord? Do you have this as a daily practice to be still? Is it built into your schedule? Now, you might be thinking, ain't nobody got time for that. But let me challenge you. Jesus was the busiest human being ever. People were constantly pining for his attention. The disciples were trying to be, help him become the most popular person ever. But no matter how busy things got, Jesus always made time. He scheduled time to get away in silence and solitude in order to be with his father. One example of this we can find in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It's on your notes there. Would you read it with me? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We know, especially from the Gospel of John, that during these times, Jesus didn't just talk to the Father. He spent time listening for the Father's voice to direct him and guide him. Now, I'm going to talk practically at the end of this message about how to practice this, but this being still and listening, just a warning, it's going to feel very awkward at first. It is going to be hard if you don't already have this, and there's going to be times when you're going to sit there and nothing's going to come to your mind, and your mind is going to start wandering all over the place. But over time, here's my promise to you, like any discipline, anything we're training for, it will become more and more natural. And eventually, you'll feel off balance if you don't have stillness in your life. Now, the second part of the P, our time of pausing, is stilling ourselves in order to do what? In order to know that he is God. That's what the psalm tells us. When it comes to prayer or the talking part of prayer, many of us right here just jump into, dear God or dear Lord. And honestly, those two titles for God have become pretty meaningless to us. They're just sort of a preamble or a formality so we can get to all the stuff we need to talk to him about. We're probably not even thinking about what those words mean, God or Lord. We're not taking the time to really recognize who God actually is. And this, in my opinion, is why Jesus starts the Lord's prayer the way, the way he does, with some amazing words we find in scripture. Our Father in heaven. I'm not exaggerating when I say those four words could sum up the entirety of theology. Theology just means the study of who God is, just like biology means the study of living organisms. And when it comes to the God of the Bible, the God of our faith, what we discover in those four words, if you're following, is that God is both eminent and transcendent. He is eminent and transcendent. Now listen, if you really want to impress people the next time you're in a conversation, I dare you to just kind of casually throw those two fancy theological words in there. See if you can impress somebody this week. But in all seriousness, these fancy words mean something I think we all understand. If you're following, to say God is eminent just means that God is fully present with us and available to us. Let me unpack that a little more with that word 
Father. I talked a little bit about this on Easter, but that word father that Jesus uses there in the Hebrew means Abba, which in English can be translated better as dad or daddy. Now this right here may be one of the most revolutionary things ever said in history, that Jesus would invite us to pray to God as Abba, as father in our prayers probably doesn't seem all that out of the ordinary for those of us who have grown up in the church, for those of us who have probably repeated the Lord's Prayer many times in our lives, but it would have been absolutely revolutionary in Jesus' day. The disciples' jaws would have been dropped to the floor right now. You can search the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and you will not find one individual person speaking of God as his or her personal father. No one in the entire history of Israel prayed like Jesus does here, let alone invite his disciples to pray the same way. But the New Testament explains why we can now call God our Father. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In other words, when we accept Christ into our hearts, you now, I now become one of God's adopted children. He is and ever will be our personal Abba. He is eminent. On the other hand, Jesus balances this amazing word Abba with in heaven, which if you're following is a transcendence word and transcendence just means God is totally other and unbound by nature. God is just totally other and unbound by nature. Think of it this way. God is not like us. He's not like us. He is incomparable. He is totally other. In Exodus chapter 3, when God reveals his name to Moses, he says, my name is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. There is no God like me. I am all-powerful. I am the uncreated creator. I am unmatchable. I am the Lord God Almighty. Now, the truth is, tell me if this isn't true for you, we tend to fixate on one of those two traits of who God is, right? We either lean toward his eminence, I see God as my Abba, as Emmanuel, as a personal God, or I see God up in heaven on his throne, all-powerful and mighty. But what Jesus invites us to here is to remind ourselves, recognize that he is both of those things. He is our Abba who is in heaven. This makes our God, the Christian God, unique among all world religions. Islam definitely sees their God as transcendent, but not as eminent. The Buddha is certainly eminent, but he is not transcendent. One of the things that drove the Jews nuts about Jesus in his time is that he brought God down to this personal level. The way they thought of God was transcendent, but the God of our Christian faith is both those things. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and yet he is also Abba, Emmanuel. He is the Lamb of God who was slain. He is Jesus. And so, yes, God is our personal Father, but he is also in heaven as King and ruler. And so Jesus says, when you start your prayers, when you've got the door closed behind you, when you've picked that place where you're going to meet with him, pause and be still. And then... Before you start your prayers, recognize and acknowledge God's eminence and his transcendence. Remember who it is you're talking to, our Father in heaven. What I'm literally saying right now to you is just spend a few moments 
acknowledging who God is and really thinking about what you're saying every time you pray. Not just dear God and then on to the next thing, but take time personally to remember who it is you're approaching. Father in heaven, almighty one who is Emmanuel, put it in your own words, but recognize and remember who you're talking to. So that is the P of pausing. Be still and know that he is God. Now, as we close, I want to get extremely practical with you. Have you ever noticed the word Selah in the book of Psalms before? It appears 71 times in Psalms, and honestly, we're not entirely sure what it meant. Most commentators think the best Best definition of it, it was some sort of a technical note to the, to the musicians or to the people reciting the psalm to have them pause at this particular moment in the psalm so that they could weigh the meaning of the words they were singing. That's a beautiful idea, and it's what I want to challenge us to incorporate into our prayer lives today. So let's get practical about how we can practice Selah, being still and knowing that he is God. So I'm just going to assume you're already doing what Jeff encouraged us to do last week. You have your place set apart. You have your time set apart where you're going to spend with the Lord. So here is a way, once you're doing that, to begin to practice being still and knowing he's God. First, before you do anything else, you make a cup of coffee. Wait, that's for me, sorry. Seriously, number one, put away any distractions. Put away any distractions. I have made it a habit the last six months that I don't look at my phone or my iPad or my computer before I have my time of being still and knowing he is God, before my Bible study and my prayer time. Now, I understand that may not be possible for some of you, so here's all I would say to you. If you have a smartphone, I can't encourage you or challenge you enough to set it aside somewhere out of reach, not just to prevent interruptions, but I really think we need to begin to train our brains against the addictive nature of these little devices. It will help you become more fully present whenever and wherever you turn to God in prayer. I mean, let's just admit it. When that little vibration goes off, we got to grab it. We have got to check who may be trying to get our attention. It's become second nature to us now. So I just challenge you, maybe put it away. Some of you use your phones for your daily devotion. So at the very least, here's my challenge to you. Put it on airplane mode when you're doing this. Put away all the distractions that might pull you away from this time of being still. Second, take one to two minutes just to sit silently and breathe deeply. Start off by finding a comfortable chair or a position where you don't do anything. You just sit comfortably. Maybe you want to fold your hands in your lap or maybe you want to lay them out in a posture of receiving. Posture really matters when it comes to prayer. The Bible talks about all kinds of different postures we can take in prayer. Now, one thing I like to do at this point as well is I like to light a candle because it reminds me of all the times when God's presence shows up in the form of fire in the Bible, including in Acts chapter 2, which we just learned about, where the disciples are in that upper room and the Spirit descends upon them in fire. Now, if that's weird to you, you don't have to light a candle. But is there some way for you to simply remember that you are in the Lord's presence? Then as you're doing that, I want you just to begin to relax. Take some slow, deep breaths. Did you know that a common symptom of anxiety and other forms of stress is shallow and erratic breathing patterns? It reduces our oxygen levels in our brains, which causes even more stress. 
Some of you have probably seen a baby sleeping before, and we always say, oh, they're so peaceful, they're so calm. Part of the reason for that is the way they breathe. Have you ever watched a baby where they breathe from? They breathe from their belly. As we grow older, though, what happens is our breathing moves from our belly into our chest. And in many ways, we need to retrain our bodies to begin to breathe from our bellies again, to create a slower rhythm of breathing. I actually have a watch that helps me do this. I, during my time here, I literally have this little breathing app that I can do where it slows my breathing down to a slower rhythm. Now, here's a small warning for you during this time. Your mind is going to resist against this kind of stillness. I love how Pete Gregg says it. A tyranny of demands and distractions strikes up in the unfamiliar silence like a brass band parading around my skull. This is so true. This happens all the time to me. Just know it's natural. It's okay. Just like any practice, silence and stillness is going to take time and training. All you have to do is let those distractions, those thoughts come, and then refocus. Here's what I actually do, I've started doing. I have a little notepad next to my Bible there, and when one of those distracting thoughts or a to-do list type thing comes to my mind, I just jot it down quickly so that I know I have it, and then I can move on and focus again on being still. Next, I practice what is called, number three, centering prayer. Centering prayer. This is to be a part of that slower breathing, and it's been a practice that Christians have practiced for centuries. Chuck talked about this several weeks ago in one of the devotions, but I found it super helpful as well during these times of pause. I'm going to challenge you to try it this week, even though I know it may be a stretch for some of you. But let me explain it. It's not that complicated. As you're sitting there, breathing deeply, sitting in a comfortable posture, breathing from your belly, begin to repeat a verse or a phrase from the Bible that is meaningful to you. For example, you could say, Father in heaven, as you're breathing in, hallowed be your name as you're breathing out. Some people like to use the famous Jesus prayer, which goes, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, as you're breathing in, have mercy on me, a sinner, as you're breathing out. The truth is you could use almost any verse in the Bible to do this. I have come to do two most often. I pray, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Or rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, I know that some of you are probably starting to get a little nervous right now, wondering if I'm leading you to a gateway of Eastern mysticism or the New Age movement. Nothing could be further from the truth if our focus is on the Lord and his word. In fact, long before the New Age movement, the Bible talked about the importance of meditating on the word of God. In fact, look at Psalm 1, 1 through 3 on the screen there with me. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person who meditates is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, whatever they do prospers. So if you're following, understand meditation, at least scriptural meditation, isn't emptying our minds. It's filling them with God's word. And so listen, let me get practical. When I pray, spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, I'm not just mindlessly repeating some mantra. 
I'm focusing on the words that I'm praying. Spirit, the one who is present right here and right now with me in this time and in this place of the living God, of the God who was raised from the dead and has given me his very own spirit to live inside of me, to guide me, fall afresh on me. I need your mercies to be new to me every morning. Finally, after doing that for maybe one to two minutes, take time to acknowledge who God really is. This is gonna be the first time you'll actually talk. He is Father in heaven. I take time to acknowledge this. Good morning, Lord, the one who is eminent and transcendent, the one who is compassionate and gracious and kind, but is also majestic and full of glory, the one who is our judge. It's just simply reminding myself who it is I'm meeting with instead of, dear God, and on to the next thing. Now, I really hope this doesn't sound more complicated than it needs to be. Literally, this whole thing takes about three to five minutes of my prayer time, and then I move into the second part of prayer, which I'm gonna talk about next week with you. So let me just ask you, are you willing to try that this week? If so, you can find a guide based on my message today on the website we've created just for this series. You can see the link here. Or just use the notes, uh, the last part of my notes there. But listen, if you have found your prayer life to be a little bit stale, I wonder if this alone could really encourage you. I can tell you from personal experience, this right here has made such a huge difference for me. I can't wait for my time of prayer. It has kept my prayer from becoming routine, and it's reminded me it is about a relationship. It's about communicating with God, yes, but it's also about learning to listen to God's voice in my life. I hope you'll try it. Will you pray with me? Abba, who is in heaven, the one who is personal, the God who became flesh, the Lamb of God who died for me, I remind myself of that, but I also remind myself, you are the king of the universe. You are Yahweh. You are who you are. You are the lion of Judah. You sit on a throne of glory. We thank you for the invitation to pray to you, to have a relationship with you. We thank you that Jesus taught us how we can do this in a more meaningful way. And I pray this week as we practice being still and knowing that you are God, that you will meet with us. You will speak to us. We will learn new things about who you are and who we are. We look forward to spending this time with you, even though we're apart, as we practice it together. Remind us that we are your children and you delight when we take the time to spend with you. In Jesus' name we pray together, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.